amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome. Today our topic is about diversity, or rather what our guest Vernay Myers likes to call cultural innovation. Vernay is a lawyer, entrepreneur, and self-described cultural innovator. She's also the author of two best-selling books, Moving Diversity Forward, How to Move from Well-Being to Well-Doing, and What If I Say the Wrong Thing? 25 Habits for Culturally Effective People. Welcome, Brene. Hi, thank you for having me. So let's begin by defining the term cultural innovation. What is it and where does it fit in with diversity and inclusion? Well, it's interesting. We started uh, creating this idea of uh, calling the work cultural innovation only last year, and it really came up because one day I was in one of the many conferences that I participate in, and I was listening to a panel of really brilliant people go on about the issues and the problems with um, assuring that corporations and organizations and law firms become more diverse. And I thought to myself, I am in a time warp. <laughs> about this issue for so long. I've been 18 years professionally. And they were still quoting the same barriers, the same statistics, the poultry, you know, sort of numbers of women and people of color and issues with LGBT. And I just thought to myself, we are locked into some kind of box, um, some way of thinking that is making it difficult for us to see real progress in this area and, you know, just so much frustration around it and a lot of fatigue. And then I started thinking about we need to innovate. And, you know, innovate is usually a term that's used uh, in technology and it really uh, often goes to the process, a process of how a company can change the way it's been doing a particular thing in order to get an edge on their competitors or, um, you know, to attract different talent or to get a bigger market share. And I thought we need innovation with regard to the cultures that our environments and, and uh, companies have. And so Cultural innovation isn't so much about products, but it is about a process. It's really about people and the process that creates the kind of conditions for environments that are necessary for people of every background to come in and thrive in their workplace environment or community. So it really is looking at what is sort of the status quo and the box in which our organizations are proceeding in, and what about that present situation is making it difficult for us to realize the kinds of uh, the kinds of uh, to really realize I guess our values because one of the things that you know you mentioned I wrote a book called 
moving diversity forward. It's actually moving from well-meaning to well-doing. And we see all the time really well-meaning people, but they don't know what to do in order to actually realize the kinds of environments that they would be really most proud of, that it's thriving with people of all sorts of backgrounds and differences, and, you know, the organization is thriving, the individuals are thriving. We just don't see that the way we'd like to see it. And so we have created a process by which we might get there, and it's the process itself is this idea of cultural innovation. Okay, so you've outlined some of the benefits of moving forward with this concept. Um, how have others implemented it successfully? Are there specific steps or phases to move through? You mentioned a process. Yeah, there are some stages. And we, um, my company, Bernie Myers Consulting Group, um, we're, we basically have been working on the issues of diversity, and then we moved to this idea of inclusion. So that, that was a very big shift in the world of diversity. We went from, from counting to the idea of cultivating, um, from looking not only at who we're inviting in, but what is the experience of those individuals once they get into our environment. And what we discovered is that we're really inviting in difference, but we're not creating the kinds of condition that allows the difference to actually blossom and flourish. And so this cultural innovation idea is a new idea uh, that my company has really started to coin and to think about. And the process is really the way we're thinking about it right now is that it's got um, several steps. One is sort of reimagining um, an organization or it could be a team like if a, if a firm thinks oh this is way too much or I, I we're just going to start with a team or an office or a particular community but you're reimagining that particular entity um, in a way that um, you're it's respecting and reflecting and appreciating human differences and what we understood about inclusion is that we say we want diversity, but often what we want is for people who are different to come in and act the same way as people who have already been there and created the organization, and it doesn't work very well. So there are a lot of resources going outside in order to bring in difference into the organization, but that difference doesn't hold, it doesn't grow, it doesn't have the ability to actually transform and actually enhance the organization's performance and those people actually leave after a while or they don't bring their best or they don't um, find themselves to be successful in those environments and so they're asked to leave. And, or, or that we have diversity that just gets sort of uh, stuck at the beginning of the organization or maybe in the mid-level but never quite moving up into the C-suite. Um, so it's about reimagining the organization. It's about developing internal cultures um, that sees difference as an asset. And that is another really different shift in the way that people think about difference, which is that a lot of people want a difference to go away. We don't want difference to make a difference. <laughs> and that's strange, but people, it's sort of like they want people with different languages and different uh, cultures and different perspectives, but they don't want to change the way the organization has been doing things. And that's often because a lot of these organizations are quite 
uh, successful and the ways that they've been operating, but not in this particular area. And so instead of seeing difference as a liability, the shift in cultural innovation is that you see difference as an asset. In fact, that's like, oh, the problem people, what are we going to do with those people? They, they bring problems. We really see them as, oh, here are the people who are going to help us solve our problems, who uh, our future is not assured um, of unless we have these different perspectives, this kind of energy, this kind of um, opportunity that comes from connecting uh, to Different communities and building stronger and deeper networks to other or you know other organizations and populations. So, the other piece of innovation is that you're seeing difference as an asset. And then the third piece, which is the super super hard piece, is that you're dismantling the cultural norms that maintain the status quo and that prevent equal opportunity and fairness. And it's hard for very well-meaning people to really examine what aspects of their culture is preventing them from being the most fair, square, equitable, you know, um, fair, not just fair-minded, but fair opportunity, um, you know, organization. So that dismantling and the challenging is the hard, hard work. Um, so those are, I would say, that it's that underlying aspects of the process, but then we think that four conditions have to be available in order for these innovation to happen. One is empathy, and that's sort of the skill of walking in another's shoes. The second is understanding, um, and that's um, the concept of privilege. Another sometimes very hard idea for people to hold on to uh, privilege or unearned advantage is the idea that certain groups have been situated over a period of time to be thought of as better than or more superior than other groups. And while we don't believe in that anymore, we still have sort of this residual um, residual beliefs sort of uh, sort of embedded in the systems within our organization. So a, a simple thing would be just sort of appearance, right? So, you know, we've been taught that, you know, beautiful looks a particular way or, you know, smart looks a particular way. And so when people present who are just as smart and just as capable and just as um, and, and so valuable, but they don't look the way people expect them to or that people have equated uh, with beauty, then they're often overlooked. They're often not hired, you know. They're, you know, 40, 50 pounds overweight and there's like a judgment about what it is that they are capable of doing or being, you know. They have hair that looks different from what people are accustomed to, so they're not sure that they're professional. You know, those kinds of, that's just a small example. You know, obviously there are bigger examples of what privilege looks like around race and ethnicity and sexual orientation and religion. Um, but the idea that certain groups are getting the benefit of the doubt and that benefit of the doubt is creating a different starting point for them and that is having an impact on their success in the organization is an important uh, piece of innovation. The other really important piece is co courageous leadership. Um, and it's, it takes an enormous 
amount of courage to say the ways that we've been doing things over a period of time may have been fine at one point but are no longer fine or we're never quite right um, and now we have to shift and change them if we want to see uh, a future that is full of um, you know, of of capabilities and of creativity and ultimately of, um, you know, uh, relevance, you know, as we move into a more complex society. Um, And then I think the final thing that we don't talk a lot about is this recognition of how we're all interrelated and that if one group of people are not doing well or cannot survive in an organization, then in some ways all of us are um, in an organization that is not going to create enough space for um, individuals to really thrive. And sometimes, you know, even with the gender issue, issue, you'll see that, you know, maybe it's women who are not being well represented in the leadership or whatever, but often the conditions that make it hard for them to succeed and to bring their best um, is also a condition that makes it hard for men as well Um, because there will be individual men within that system who are also not compliant with or find it hard to exist within a certain cultural norm of what man looks like or what man should do or what they should care about or how they should talk or how they should express themselves. And so men themselves are also burdened by or limited by that cultural norm. It may have a more, um, you know, difficult, it may create more difficulty or more intense barrier for women, but it is also an issue that all human beings would be facing. So the interrelatedness um, of everyone um, within this particular environment is also a piece of cultural innovation. And it's the thing I think that makes people want to change because they recognize that when one group is not feeling or said that has an impact on the entire organization and it also is speaking to a larger issue around just humanity and the ability of human beings to thrive in this environment. So our listeners may be wondering at this point, this is a pretty dramatic shift in perspective. How do they know if their firm or company is ready to take this next step of cultural innovation? Right. That's such a great question because sometimes when we are asked to come into organizations, we actually have a pre-survey. Like, you know, our this on? And I think it's a really important question. Um, You have to have the leadership who is willing um, to to do what it takes, um, take some risks. Um, if you think that the organization doesn't have that leadership, then it probably doesn't make sense to start trying to shift the culture. Now, you can start you can start doing some things, but you may not be ready to necessarily innovate on your culture. Like the things you could start doing is having conversations with individuals about how they're feeling about their organization. You might start to do an audit or a, um, you know, sometimes we call it an assessment where you have focus groups and interviews and you look at statistics and you're basically building a case 
for why the organization should move out of the status quo and begin looking more deeply at what needs to change and eat in order for it to thrive um, and actually be relevant and productive um, and actually its mission and vision. This isn't about we're going to be nice people. This really is about how an organization is going to survive going forward in the future and do it in a way that is prosperous and that is and, and where they feel proud of what they're doing um, within the society. So I think that you there is some testing. There is like getting the right leaders in, in, or, or the right people into leadership positions. It's about being able to detect what the experiences are of various individuals and being able to show that to the leadership. Sometimes it's about measuring and monitoring to see what opportunities people are getting and to see whether there's a differential between, you know, what maybe women and people of color are experiencing as compared to um, their colleagues who are men or who are white. So, you know, you can do that type of um, sort of pilling of the ground, conversations, reading articles, you know, really kind of uh, heightening one's awareness of what um, difference is and how a lot of people have been taught not to recognize difference at all because the idea is that if we are recognizing difference, we're not being fair. And what we've now discovered is that because there is um, – unconscious or implicit biases, even in the best of us, um, including me, who works on this all the time, that we absolutely have to look at the impact that difference might be having on people's opportunities within an organization or a community. So can you give us a few best practices, like how we can tip the scales in favor of success, or are there barriers to be aware of? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, so this is a new process, and I'm very excited about being able to talk about it with the audience at ALA because um, we are hoping to push people more into this kind of conversation. Why? Because we've been at it for so many years and watching people try and fail and getting frustrated and going dormant and then waking up again when there's the next crisis <laughs> and then trying it again and just being so fatigued and some people being even cynical about it. And um, So we are trying to say let's not let's not go down the paths that we know don't work anymore, which is the sort of tinkering paths where we, we do a program here or we do a training there, and then we expect something amazing to happen. Um, and it doesn't work that way because the culture that exists didn't, it didn't come into place overnight, and it has a real logic to it, and so it won't be dismantled or shifted um, overnight. And so it is a process and it does require us to get outside of our normal ways of thinking. And so, I mean, one of the biggest barriers is time. That's a huge barrier because a lot of people who are working on this issue also are working on uh, other types of work. And so you have to have the right um, uh, resources available to undertake this. Um, but also one of the major issues I mentioned is the just implicit bias. You know, there are ways in which we value people over other people. And that's not because we're not 
good people. It's because we're humans, and a lot of times we are unaware of the ways in which we have been um, trained to think uh, in a way that excludes people or that undervalues people. Um, And so one of the things that we've done is to go into denial about this issue of bias and I am really encouraging people to embrace their biases and go looking for them because that's the way that you can counter them. And, in fact, I really wanted to encourage people to think more about this bias um, idea because it's everywhere now. We're hearing a lot about it in the news and um, in popular press. just did a, a talk uh, for TED that you can find on the TEDcom.com on biases, and I was speaking specifically to some of the issues on race and that are surfacing in our um, communities now. And um, I talk about bias actually called, you know, what do you do about bias? You walk boldly toward it. So if, you know, people want to take a listen to that, um, you know, that's where I start to really talk about the issues, one of the biggest barriers to change is really being able to examine and look at our own biases and the, the ways in which it causes us to prefer our own type and to develop systems that work for us and not necessarily notice where they don't work for other people. And so I think unconscious bias is a huge barrier and we just have to be looking out for it all the time. Again, time and other types of resources are um, an issue that we need to, I think, think about as well. And um, I also think, as I mentioned before, this idea of empathy, walking into someone else's shoes, it's so hard to do that. It's so hard to create the kinds of circumstances that would allow people to understand what it's like to be in someone else's shoes. So we've been doing a lot of how does an organization begin to take its leaders or take its men or take its straight folk or take its Christian folk, you know, and start to help them understand what it feels like to be invisible or what it feels like to always be um thought of as maybe not as good or not as smart, not as moral? Like, how do you contract a situation so that people can have the, 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 the feelings that allow people to change? Because um, I really do believe that empathy is such an essential component of transformation. Um, and so some of those, um, some companies are doing that. You know, they're, they're trying to do immersion programs. They're doing like reverse mentoring where the group, uh, the sort of the out group is actually, you know, advising in group or, you know, just going for a day um, and, sitting at someone's office to know what it feels like to be, you know, the staff person versus the person who's got the interior offices, you know, just ways of stepping in each other's shoes. So we only have one or two minutes left. Can you tell us a little bit about how do you, how do you define success with something so subtle and yeah. so ingrained in yeah. the world? Yeah, well, it is going to be gradual, but I do think that we often say that in three years you should start to feel a difference. And what I mean by that is that maybe you have more of this group or that group, 
maybe you don't. Maybe you have people staying longer. Maybe you have people uh, being more productive. Maybe you have um, companies and networks that have expanded. Maybe when you ask people how they feel about their future in the organization or what their experiences are, they have a very different way of describing and a more positive way of describing that than when you first start the process because you do need to have like a baseline. And that's why we talk about a cultural audit or a cultural assessment to hear what people are feeling and thinking and the statistics on tenure and how many people are staying or, you know, how well they're doing. So sometimes it's a quantitative in people's experience, and sometimes it's a quantitative difference with regard to how much of an organization is or how many women are now in the positions of, you know, of, of power or leadership in an office or, an, or in a particular product area. So those are the kinds of ways that you begin to me- measure and monitor your success. Well, thank you so much. That brings us to the end of our podcast. Thank you, Verne Myers, for your experience, for your expertise and experience in cultural innovation. Verne will be speaking about diversity at ALA's annual conference, May 17th through 20th in Nashville, Tennessee. Her sessions are titled From Diversity to Cultural Innovation, and there's a part one and a part two. So visit the ALA website at alanet.org for additional information, and thank you for joining us. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.